Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending March 18th, 2023. This week, you let me down, YouTube. Now I don't believe in nothing no more. I'm calling Comcast. I'm Kim Hollis, buzzer beater extraordinaire. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and plucky 16 seed. I was going to use this intro before what happened on Friday night, <laughs> but more, more like extremely Dickerson. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, are you as plucky as fairly Dickinson? <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and someone who's predicted national champion lost in the first round on Thursday afternoon. Here's how bad this tournament has started for everyone in the country. I'm still in the 90th percentile after the first two days. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who collapsed this weekend, but we're hoping the federal government will prop him up by Monday. The government better stay out of my business until I need them to bail me out. Damn right. In our rapid fire this week, Diamond Sports, the operator of the Bally Sports Regional Sports Networks, has declared bankruptcy. Where do we go from here? Did the evil company just get the savage comeuppance in the end? Oh, schadenfreude ensues. <laughs> Seriously, do you know that when you don't pay your licensing fees, the company can stop licensing to you? I swear, that is correct. And I'm glad I could provide you with this insightful business lesson, Mr. Musk. <laughs> yeah, they continue to operate and they continue to show sports. The expectation is that they're going to restructure and somehow eliminate those tens of billions of dollars of debt that they have selling those uh, regional sports networks after obtaining them through their Fox purchase may have been Bob Iger's best move ever. And he only did it because the Department of Justice forced them to. So uh, thank you, federal government again. These regional sports networks are burdened with immense amounts of debt due to these commitments that they made to professional leagues saying, we'll carry your games and we will give you all this money for the opportunity. And it turns out that as people started cutting the cord, suddenly that revenue wasn't there anymore for the regional sports networks. And uh, now they're all collapsing. It's unfortunate not for the regional sports networks. They should have been able to see the writing on the wall, but it is unfortunate for the professional sports, the leagues, and more importantly, the fans who are probably going to have a harder time finding their content and are going to find themselves paying more for that content and paying more when going to see the games live in stadiums and arenas. Yeah, I think the scary thing here that doesn't get mentioned enough is when Disney put those up for sale, like Roel said, it was a forced sell by the government and Disney expected $20 billion in revenue from that sell. That was the projections that other financial institutions were telling them. And instead, the bids came in much lower than expected, which means it could be that much worse. It could be double that kind of loss for all involved if it had broken a certain way. And instead, we're looking at this. There is no way for them to make the money needed to justify this at this point, which means we all know they're dead in the water. There is no getting around it. There is not a restructuring here that saves this. They've been trying to hold on for gambling. They're still trying to hold on. But all of the major sports are looking at I'm going, that's nice, dear. You, you keep doing what you're doing. We're going to go ahead and we're going to show it on our thing because we have lost all confidence in you as they should. This project has failed. 
Yeah. Regional sports networks as a product is done. At this point, I'm concerned about the further siloing of sports and more specifically the siloing of teams, both MSG and NESN. So Madison Square Garden Network and the Northeast Sports Network have their own streaming services at roughly $30 a month each. If you want to watch the Red Sox or the Bruins, you have to watch them on NESN+. Plus. If you want to watch the Rangers or the Devils or the Islanders or the Sabres or the Knicks, you have to watch them on MSG+. Plus. I do want to say, I think the long-term outcome here will be a happy ending and hopefully an end to the ridiculous blackout rules that are currently in place, which is why you have to pay these extreme fees to watch your local team if you live in the market, rather than just say, get MLB TV. If you say, like, I can't watch Mets games on MLB TV right now because I'm in I'm in New York. David and Kim, for some reason, can't watch Braves or Cardinals games despite living in Tennessee because these things don't make sense. I think ultimately those will go away in the end, but that is still a couple years away. See, I'm afraid that it's going to be the opposite. At $30 a month, that's more expensive than these bundles like MLB.tv or NBA League Pass. Or oh, yeah, NH- they're, they're outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But if you sign up to any of these bundles, that's only for out-of-market games. You can't expect to subscribe to these bundles and get your local teams. So you have to pay these $30 a month for the MSG package or $30 a month for the NESN package to get your local teams. And I don't see a way that these teams are going to be convinced to eliminate blackout when they're saying, oh, I I get 30 bucks a month if somebody wants to watch my team. I'm not going to let my games show up on these bundle packages instead. Thankfully, ultimately, it is up to Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League themselves. And so the owners, while they have, you know, a substantial amount of power here, and we shouldn't undersell that, there should be, at least theoretically, people who are concerned with the overall state of the game making these decisions, which means I do have every optimism that blackouts are about to go away. Could that opinion look foolish? in a while, possibly, but baseball especially seems to know that its blackout rules are just objectively stupid. So they're going to fix it now. Whether the fix turns out to be better, that's what we're waiting to see. And now for something very close to home, YouTube TV has just increased their monthly subscription price dramatically from $64.99 to $72.99 per month, an $8 increase. Wait, 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 wait. It was that much already? I had literally no idea. Oh my God. That's, that is at that point, just, okay, just keep cable. (laughs) Seriously. It's actually better than cable is the defense that I will offer because it does have a bottomless DVR. That's what we like about it. We laugh. It's like, well, let's just use cable instead. But I'll argue that you have to consider that that $72.99 a month only gets you the television content. It doesn't give you the internet access to get to that television content. You still need to pay someone for that internet access, be it your phone company or your cable company. When you put it all together, it really starts to make a case for why maybe cable isn't such a bad deal. I do have to point out this is their first rate increase in nearly three years, but it is a whopper. At the same time, it's a 12% increase and inflation from 2020 to 2023 was roughly 15%. So it's not even keeping up to inflation. No one's going to say, oh, well, this is less than inflation. This this is a great deal. They're going to say this is $8 more than I was paying yesterday. And people just are not going to be very happy with that. But you are getting something out of this, aren't you, David? You get multi-view, <laughs> whatever that tell, is. Tell me about multi-view. 
So on Thursday evening, something popped up on our YouTube TV that we had seen a story about and we didn't know what it was going to be. And it is now a four-in-one picture available for some programming. And the programming thus far that we've watched is the NCAA tournament. They've had it for both the men's and the women's game. And it doesn't actually have, you know, I'm just expressing my fondness for DVR, doesn't actually have DVR functionality in that you can't rewind or fast forward to reach where you want to be in the game. Instead, it is just four pictures on the screen, kind of as if you were a sports bar. You're watching what you're watching with no control over it. And I thought, I mean, it was like the mothership calling me home. Kim, you found it overwhelming, didn't you? That is the exact word I would use for it. It's a little too much for me, and I can't really focus on it. But I would say that's possibly more a me problem than it is a YouTube problem. Yeah, I think that it definitely is something that takes a lot of acclimation. We'd actually been in two different sports bars the last five days. And to me, it just felt like everything else we see at a sports bar. Four TVs on top of each other, and you're just picking out what you want. But on a smaller television, we were watching this on a 65-inch. It did feel a little just strange, just something we're not completely used to yet. And if we're honest, they're just testing it right now with the NCAA basketball tournament. That is not the end game for this project. This is going to be what happens when NFL Sunday Ticket becomes available via YouTube TV and YouTube. This is how they're going to actually do this is you can pull up four different games at once and watch, you know, the football games. And my question is, right now, you can't actually pick the programs. When the NFL starts, you know, there's some games I care about. The other games where I'm like, oh my God, they don't even have a quarterback. I have no interest in watching this. It'll be painful. Will I be able to pick those games. That's a conversation that matters, but the technology itself, very impressive. As for the pay increase, well, that's actually something we predicted. I was going to mention the inflation party for all will happen, but just to a larger point, when YouTube acquired the rights to NFL Sunday Ticket, we laughed and said, well, the price of YouTube TV is going up, and it has. I'm not sure that uh, I have much more to add to this other than to say just how important the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness, is to television broadcasts that YouTube made these announcements this week during the tournament. I think any other time that they made these announcements, it may have gone over much more poorly. But this multi-view functionality, when there's so many basketball games happening concurrently, I think people are eating it up. So YouTube's saying essentially, here's multi-view, but it's going to cost you more for it. And I think a lot of people are just going to swallow that. What's Sunday ticket going to cost at this rate? I don't think it's going to start at a high price. I suspect what they'll do is they'll indoctrinate people at a lower price than what DirecTV was offering, and then they'll gradually increase it every year. That's my expectation. I do have to say, generally speaking, Google really is pretty good about holding to the line on prices on this stuff. All right, Tim, before we cover the ratings, let's talk about the box office a little bit. Uh, David, would you like to kick the DCEU again while it's down? Because <laughs> we have Shazam Fury of the Gods coming in with $11.7 on a Friday. No, that's not great. James Gunn and his team made it clear that there was going to be the before times movies and the after times movies. And these movies, Shazam Fury of the Gods, Aquaman 2, and even the Flash movie are still of the old guard at DC. This isn't the old times versus the new times. This is just the bad times. <laughs> 
Yeah, James Gunn is going to use that Flash movie essentially to reboot his DC universe, and so they are just not putting a lot of support into these these movies that were produced before he took over the DC projects at Warner Brothers. And while this is an underperforming movie, if we can even say that's true, because I don't think anyone really expects this to be a spectacularly successful movie, no one at DC or Warner Brothers is going to lose their jobs because of this. This movie was expected to bomb and no one cares about it. I wouldn't say that. I mean, the first Shazam film was one of the most pleasant surprises they've done. Now, if you look back at the story, which I quite enjoyed, it didn't leave a lot up for debate for a second film. So the necessity of the second film, we can argue, but this is a project that at least looked good on paper. And so this bombing, I mean, it's worrisome on its own, but you know, Roll, you're talking about this doesn't matter. They're going to reboot with The Flash. Is the seventh DC Universe reboot the charm? How many? (laughs) I wonder how much money they spent marketing this movie because, again, this was not part of their plan for DC movies going forward. I'm shocked, honestly, that under David Zasloff, that Warner Brothers even released this movie. I mean, they had to release it. It was too expensive to totally dump it. I'm sure they looked in the tax write-offs and they couldn't make the money work. But Tim, just analytically... When we watch Scream do what it did, and we watch Creed do what it did, and we see Cocaine Bear excel, and then you see this, how big an indictment of DC is this in your estimation? Legitimately, because I think everyone knows I have no respect for DC. Yeah, this is pretty bad because it really felt like the box office was just kind of on a roll in general. I mean, we were lukewarm on Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, I mean, did cross 200 million, but that's so that's still good. But yeah, Creed, Creed. 3 did great. Scream 6 did did fine. Cocaine Bear is headed to like 60 million. And then just it feels like the wheels just fell off with this Shazam Fury of the Gods. It's like it's just this big record scratch saying uh, we didn't want no one wanted this. Sorry. Yeah. Not only is it going to come in under 30 million for the weekend. Remember, like as you said, the first Shazam was pretty positively, you know, reviewed and did very well. It made uh, what, 150 million? They made 366 million worldwide. Yeah. And we always, I mean, we've been saying this for at least 15 years now. The quality of the first film directly impacts, I mean, it correlates strongly mm-hmm. to the opening weekend of the sequel. And that film, while it was a pandemic ago, was just four years ago. So people should remember hey, the first Shazam was pretty good. But every time they aired a trailer for the sequel, I think it cost them money. They would have been better <laughs> off just like, hey, Shazam 2 is coming out. I'm dead serious. I was sad for everyone involved when we would see clips for this. The only winner in this was Eminem, who, you know, people are looking up the song from Shazam on the Shazam app. The movie itself, I mean, it's just grim. And that's on top of the fact that Zachary Levi has come out pro-idiot lately. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Poor Chuck. A lot Sorry, Chuck. Yeah. Here. yeah, the Shazam, again, just four years ago, again, pre-pandemic, but 53.5 million opening weekend, 140 million domestically, 363 million worldwide. That's pretty good when you're not a Marvel movie. So yeah, this is going to come in with under 30 million and it costs a lot more, 125 million budget before even you get into all the 
ridiculous marketing that this this movie has seemed to have had. Right. And that's that's my point all along. I'm sure that it, they at least casually thought, hey, can we bury this the same way we're doing with Batgirl and Scooby-Doo? But they couldn't find the financial path for $125 million production. And so this is what we get. And so now the thing with The Flash is when that film comes out, they're going to have to hope people don't remember this and there's not enough time between them. It, mistake after mistake after mistake. It is hard to watch DC operate. It really is. Well, that went about how I expected it to go for Shazam. So, Tim, let's talk about the ratings instead. Sure. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, February 13th through Sunday, February 19th, 2023. And to nobody's surprise, the top show is still you. The first full week of availability for its fourth season for, again, just five more episodes, but another 1.4 billion minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think we will expect the same pattern here, actually, probably even maybe a little bit higher when we get those other five episodes in in a few more weeks. Because again, they split this fourth season into two five-episode chunks. My theory is so they can, you know, make sure you uh, say subscribe to Netflix for two months. But some people, hey, maybe they were able to wait and then they just subscribe for March and then watch the episodes then. But I think there's, you know, it's something that you're going to see them do. They've done it a few times already. You're going to see them do it a lot more going forward, especially with their more successful series. Uh, We do have a couple other new shows at the top here. Second is Perfect Match. Now it's down a bunch from you, but it's 476 million minutes for four episodes. Forget the Avengers. This is the superhero mashup we were all waiting for, right? (laughs) Yes, it's Netflix just taking a bunch of people from all their other dating reality shows and then throwing them into one, one new show. Active volcano. Unfortunately, no, no, not not into a a blender or volcano, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm not surprised it's here, and we'll see this one for a while because it's it's going to add some more episodes as well over the next couple weeks because they they do stagger this out with their reality shows as well. Leaning a little bit into that Valentine's Day viewing, I assume. Yeah, maybe. I guess that that's good timing for the for the arrival of it. Something else new in third, and I I'm. Actually, a little surprised here, I guess. Full Swing, 474 million minutes for eight episodes for the golf reality documentary series. Yes, this is uh, Netflix uh, building off of the success of their sports reality programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it built off of uh, what they did with uh, F1, and now they're taking it into uh, golf and tennis. Yeah, this has actually already been renewed for another season, too. Uh, most of the rest of originals is things we've seen before. Everything's pretty bunched together here in terms of minutes viewed. Uh, so it's all very close. Fourth is Physical 100. We've seen that for a while now. Eight episodes, 468 million minutes. Netflix's Love is Blind, 43 total episodes, 462 million minutes. Poker Face from Peacock, seven episodes, 422 million minutes. The only non-Netflix show in the top 10 on the originals chart. Ginny and Georgia in seventh, 410 million minutes. My Dad, the Bounty Hunter, we saw that premiere last week does take a bit of a jump with its first full week, 372 million minutes up to eighth. Wednesday is still here, 325 million minutes in ninth. And this is a little interesting because in 10th, we have Outer Banks, 282 million minutes for 20 episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is some pre-gaming because the new season will not affect the ratings until next week. So that's going to be an absolute monster, in my opinion, then by seeing it here. That's pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what those numbers are like next week. It feels like season three has a buzz that the previous two seasons have not. Tim, 
I do want to go back to one other thing. Physical mm-hmm. 100, do you think this does even, let's say, half of what it has done, if not for a, a previous Netflix hit of similar nature? Oh, you mean you mean Squid Game? Yes. No, this doesn't do anything. I think this is kind of the closest thing you can get to a real Squid Game without, you know, actually killing people. So it's like Squid Game almost is like counts twice it's just that dramatic yes you you get where i'm going with this i mean that has been a staggering performance for physical 100 i mean staggering and that's just like the dessert from what we already had with squid game i mean it's just amazing how much that keeps propagating its own success yes and then we saw once or twice a couple months ago was that alice in borderland when that mid season the second season that came out that made the ratings and that was the show that people had always said oh you like Squid Game, watch this show. And then when the second season arrived, it had enough interest to, to land on the, on the ratings chart. So yeah, the ramifications that the ridiculous success of Squid Game had are amazing and also make me worried for people. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Movies is led by a movie we saw premiere last week, Your Place or Mine, 955 million minutes. So yeah, the first full week of the availability and it did perhaps get a Valentine's Day bump for the, uh, the rom-com. That's really not very good. But we do have something interesting here in second. This is The Woman King, 753 million minutes. This was a theatrical release that, for some reason, exactly 153 days, I don't know why they counted, after it arrived in theaters, arrived on streaming. It seems to make a very good companion for what comes in at number three. Sure, it's a different service, but from Disney+, Plus, uh, we've seen this one for a couple weeks now here, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, 579 million minutes. So down almost 50% from last week, but I think that's that's to be expected. I think once when, when something isn't quite you know new anymore, you get that big debut, then you get that pretty decent hold after the first full week and then a pretty decent number that's still on slow weeks would actually lead the movie still you know yeah that's when i'm looking at this one of my takeaways is we're going to find out the most about wakanda forever in four or five months and i know that's a strange thing to say but we've tracked this phenomenon with titles like endgame with moana where they hover around the bottom of the list when they're really well received we have seen that with in-game in particular, where just every once in a while, it'll pop up. So mm-hmm. if Wakanda Forever does that, that establishes it as upper tier Marvel, especially compared to, you know, the other recent releases from Marvel. Mostly what we've seen is this stuff like, sadly, Eternals and especially Thor Love and Thunder, which just kind of vanished quickly. So yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful that's the case here, but I don't know. And then you know, Rolo is right that there's similarities with The Woman King, but I think when I look at The Woman King, the most impressive part for me was it was a box office success for what it was, but I would not have expected it to do this well on streaming, even though it did have the benefit of Netflix on it. So, Tim, I'm curious to you, is this more or less than what you expected? Uh, this is quite a bit more. I'd forgotten about this movie. I know it did pretty well during a week box office period in like September. Um, uh, and then had forgot about it till it showed up on the, on the ratings this week. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really solid number for this. It made, you know, 67 million domestically, which for September of 2022, really, really good. But it doesn't demonstrate that sort of performance. But, you know, yeah. when you look at it compared to some other films we have seen from Marvel releases, even 753 million minutes at the start is strong. So that's, I, I kind of, that was the one number out of everything here that made me double take a little bit. I was impressed. 
Yep. I will point out that Sony was disappointed that The Woman King didn't get nominations at the Academy Awards. They certainly felt that the movie and its star, Viola Davis, deserved nominations. Yep. And there was also mm. a lot of talk about the director as well. And by all rights, justifiably so. And I will add that if you search for Black Panther on Netflix, your first result is The Woman King. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> uh, that yeah. It would help. Yes. And, and just to drive home how excellent this number is, this arrived on Netflix on the 16th, so it's only three days worth of ratings here. So we might maybe even see it go higher next week. Right. Well, moving moving on, in fourth, we have Two Guns, which Nielsen helpfully labels as a film, also with 579 million minutes. <laughs> For some reason, and this is not the only movie this happened to this week, this arrived on Netflix also on February 16th. Why that specific date for this and a couple other movies, I have no idea. It's a licensing nightmare, but of course, people watched it. You know, Denzel Washington, sure. Minions, The Rise of Gru is fifth, 435 million minutes. Wild Lyle Crocodile in sixth, 301 million minutes. New in seventh, well, quote, new in seventh, 47 meters down, uncaged, 271 million minutes. And yes, the sequel... 2019 sequel to 47 meters down also returned to netflix from wherever it was on february 16th <sighs> we've uh, just started doing this like when something will say hey returning to netflix we'll kind of think huh i wonder if if that's going to appear on the list like just before we did the podcast kim noticed over the head just returning in a matter of days and i'm like most of the world hasn't thought about over the hedge in 10 years but it still wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if it starts yep exactly uh, you People in 8th, 232 million minutes. And then the evergreen Disney content, Moana, 214 million minutes in 9th. Encanto in 10th, 212 million minutes. So yeah, these movies always hang around like the next five movies. And then uh, if we if we saw more than just the top 10 and uh, on weeks such as this, they reappear on the list. Hey, Tim. Yes. On a seemingly unrelated note. Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World has just announced that it's going to have a character greeting with Mirabelle from Encanto, while Disney's Animal Kingdom, also at Walt Disney World, will have a character interaction with Moana from Moana. Are you surprised, Tim? <laughs> Not in the least. <laughs> the Synergy Machine is in full force. The flywheel, baby. <laughs> um, before we move on to Acquired, I'd like to talk about a movie that's not here and probably will never be here because for the third year in a row since we've been doing this podcast, we will see absolutely no impact from the Oscars on the movie rating chart. While we did see 2020 Best Picture, Nomadland, like once or twice very briefly when it premiered, which I think was Hulu, we never saw last year's winner, Coda, which was from Apple TV Plus, because to date we've seen exactly one Apple TV Plus show, and that's Ted Lasso. As an aside, Peacock has very nearly lapped you at this point on ratings, Apple TV Plus. Peacock, get it together. Anyway, I mean, I know those weren't the most commercial films, but while there is a chance we would normally perhaps see everything everywhere all at once on these ratings because it just won a billion Oscars, it is a currently only premium video on demand. It is not on a streaming service. Well, that's not true. It's on Showtime, but that's, you know, a pay channel yeah. with the streaming service. And we were actually amused. If you go to Roku's homepage this week, they are definitely saying the exclusive home to everything, everywhere, all at once. And they also, on my Sony TV, they paid for an ad congratulating everything, everywhere for all its successes. So you can tell they are really, really proud of that exclusive deal with A24, which <laughs> looks like, you know, one of the greatest bargains in recent memory and streaming right now. It does. But I get what Tim is saying. I've I've been 
a sucker to look up everything everywhere all at once repeatedly on streaming services. And I keep getting reminded that it's available on Paramount Plus, which is a goddamn lie. It's available on Gad. <laughs> it's available on Paramount Plus. If been, wow, that escalated quickly. Okay. <laughs> if you pay for the Showtime add-on. My favorite thing about all this is I just mentioned our Sony TV. We were given a free six-month subscription to Showtime when we bought the TV. And Kim, that was one of the hardest free things that we've ever had in our lives, wasn't it? They made us jump through so many hoops. I mean, so many ridiculous. hoops. So many hoops versus like some other things where it's basically like, okay, you're activated. Woohoo. Uh, Acquired is um, actually nine shows we've seen before. Once again, led by New Amsterdam, another billion minutes. Last of Us is here in second, 943 million minutes, now up to six episodes. The one new show that we've not seen before is credited to HBO Max, and it's South Park, 308 episodes, 566 million minutes in eighth this week. This is in the wake of the little fight that Warner Brothers has been having with Paramount, where Warner Brothers says that their deal with Paramount is supposed to entitle them to all the South Park episodes. And Paramount says, not all the South Park episodes, we are making these one-off specials they're not part of the bundle, therefore our streaming service, Paramount Plus. I think this is both sudden awareness from the world that, oh, South Park <laughs> is on HBO Max. And secondly, it may be in some way, shape or form, HBO Max actually trying to promote South Park more heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why they would be want to do that other than the fact that they have opted to not be paying Paramount for South Park. And so they may simply be feeling it's like, well, let's get as many views as possible for this show that we are not paying Paramount for right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I missed that because I was pretty sure I was like, oh, it's only on Paramount Plus being a uh, Comedy Central series. But nope, it's also on HBO Max for now. And for some reason, it showed up on the ratings this week. But yep, that's uh, that's all for this week. I guess we're we're gonna see Outer Banks just absolutely explode uh, next week with the release of its new season after people pulled up the previous seasons probably to reacclimate themselves with with the series. So I'm look, looking forward to that. Yep, gonna be big and yay for Charles Eston. In our green lights and cancellations this week, in a very un-Netflix move, the streamer has pulled the plug on the production of an upcoming Nancy Myers project as costs ballooned. The original budget was for $130 million, but with a cast that included Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, Owen Wilson, and Michael Fassbender, Myers wanted $150 million. This is actually a much more important story than it seems like on the surface because it's basically Netflix saying, we'll give you a budget of $130 million, and Nancy Myers going, well, you don't pay residuals now. If you're not going to pay me my residuals, I'm going to need at least $150 million for this. And Netflix goes, well, you're not getting residuals. And she goes, it's going to be $150 million then. And they go, you know what? We're just going to cancel the movie. And here's the thing. This is the chicken and the egg that we're facing right now in this industry because if you're not going to pay for residuals, it costs more to start a production budget. People expect to be paid more up front and streamers are balking at this saying, well, we don't want to pay more up front, especially not right now when we're a little cash strapped. It is a really bad problem and it's not got a solution anytime soon and probably won't even after the writer's strike resolves itself. I'm calling the strike, although it's not necessarily guaranteed at this point. And we're talking about with Nancy Myers. I mean... She's done The Holiday. She's done What Woman Want. She did Private Benjamin back in the day. We're talking about one of the most revered people on the planet, and she can't get $20 million extra million from Netflix. So this is a problem. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22. We talked about it last week when discussing the potential writer strike, where if you're not going to pay residuals, you essentially have to buy out all the creative talent on a movie on some kind of basis or expectation that the movie is going to be successful because the these creatives are supposed to get these residual checks year over year, and that's supposed to help them pay the rent and buy groceries. If you're not going to give them those residual checks, you have to give them that money up front, and the studios don't necessarily have the money up front right now to make that kind of payment. Catch 22. And then, of course, the trade off being that you have to bank on the potential of this movie being successful. We can give Nancy Myers $150 million for this movie, but what if it bombs? What if nobody watches it? And then you've paid her based on residuals that would never have manifested in the first place. Now, keep in mind that Nancy Myers seems to be shopping her movie around and Warner Brothers has expressed some interest and Warner Brothers does seem to be willing to give residuals on this movie. If it goes theatrical, then there's probably going to be residuals on this movie. So this project isn't necessarily necessarily dead, but Netflix has drawn a line and they say a Nancy Myers movie with this cast to us is worth $130 million. It is not worth $150 million. It is strangely a little bit of an insight into how Netflix operates. At Amazon Prime Video, the crime thriller Three Pines starring Alfred Molina is done after only one season. I'd heard good things about it, but evidently it didn't catch on with mainstream viewers. I still am committed to watching the show, but it's just another title on a list right now. Also at Amazon Prime Video, they're giving A League of Their Own a second season, but it is only four episodes. This might be the future we witness with de facto cancellations. We saw it recently with Disney Plus with the Owl House. I should say Disney Channel and the Owl House, where they basically canceled it, but they let them write closure stories. That's what's happening here. And I'm glad they're doing that, but it's disappointing that this show isn't going to last that long. In better news, the Blade Runner series, Blade Runner 2099, is moving ahead, having picked up Jeremy Podeswa as director. Podeswa has won Emmys for directing Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, and the Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks series, The Pacific. He's got a hell of a pedigree. He's also worked on Station Eleven for HBO. So this is a great vote of confidence for uh, Blade Runner 2099. But keep in mind, of course, that Denis Villeneuve did the previous Blade Runner project. And even with that talent, that movie did not exactly set the box office on fire. Over at Disney Plus, Deadline reported that Willow would not be returning for a second season. Or will it? So there's an interesting conversation to be had here. And with the talent involved, it's kind of important we have it. John Kasdan, who is the brother to Jake Kasdan and the son of Lawrence Kasdan, very, very successful in his own right. He has been the person behind the first season, the grand comeback of Willow. And what he said here is you shouldn't view this as canceled. What we have done is we have let the actors out of their contracts. We have every intention of doing a volume Two. And in fact, he details what his specific plans are for volume two. The problem is they don't have the time to do it right now. And Disney's not willing to put it into pre-production right now because Disney is being more discriminating about what it greenlights. So we're in a waiting pattern with Willow, but he wouldn't refer to it as canceled. And he makes an excellent point here. His exact quote is three weeks ago, we got a third season of Party Down 13 years after season two. Between seasons two and three of Atlanta, there were four years. 
years. Curb your enthusiasm seasons eight and nine had a hiatus of six years. So his point here is one that is profound. What we used to think of as canceled no longer applies. We have a different model now. And if people want something, they will get it at some point. And he makes a big deal of the fact he's been working on Willow for nearly five years now. It's been a privilege for him. He's going to continue working on the Willow season two project. It's just not coming anytime soon. And whether, you know, that is... Two years from now or 10 years from now, it still looks like it's going to happen because he is pecking away at the story and it sounds like he has very good ideas. This kind of is the blueprint for what we should expect for shows like this in the future. As long as there is an appetite for them, the consumer dictates whether or not there are more seasons. Unafraid to dip back into its USA network roots, Peacock has ordered a movie based on Tony Shalhoub's Monk. This is an outrage. They haven't done a new psych movie since 2021. Priorities, Peacock. (laughs) Which even had a joke about no one knows what Peacock is. (laughs) Yes, yes, it did. And it's still funny today. And finally, a sequel to Good Burger has been greenlit at Paramount Plus with Kenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell returning. I imagine this conversation went something along the lines of, come on, Kenan, I really need a job. Okay, Kel. I think it kind of circles back to what I was just saying, where, you know, there's also a danger in letting the consumer decide what gets a sequel and what doesn't. The the first Good Burger movie was released in 1997, and it cost about $8 million to make and earned $24 million at the box office, which makes it a profitable movie. Uh, I bet they can make a sequel to Good Burger for under $8 million. And I'm guessing that's what Paramount is betting as well. Keenan Thompson can do this on one of the weekends he's not on SNL. It's been 25 years, guys, 25 years. Has there been a lot of fan demand for a Good Burger sequel? (laughs) Hey, anything can come back at any time. Okay, as always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy lately. And along with a lot of basketball, the main thing that David and I watched was, of course, the season premiere of Ted Lasso. And it definitely made me happy. I'm glad it's back. And I still love them all. I love every one of them. Interested to see what happens next. Uh, Raul, how about you? Picard on Paramount Plus, Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. The serialized nature of these three shows is really proving appealing. I find myself with appointment viewing every week, and it makes me excited to have something to watch without having to pull up a random streamer every night and decide, okay, which new series am I supposed to be binging tonight? It's ironic, though, that just as streaming seems to be hitting its stride with these marquee shows on different streamers, the whole industry really seems to be on the precipice of collapsing. I'm going to be watching all of these new shows through the end of the season. And I am very happy to know that every week I've got new episodes of all these shows to watch. I'm really enjoying my streaming content these days. Although I have to say The Mandalorian, that show's getting kind of dumb. <laughs> I watched the first season of Picard and I th- I guess it was okay. I didn't really know what I was expecting. And then now I I see, I did not watch the second season. And now I basically see the third season advertised as we got rid of all the new characters, except for like one, and then just went full on the next generation reunion with seven of nine, just because we can. Is that kind of what it is? It yeah, is and, kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, and and that's they do that's have, a great pitch and, to me. Yeah. yeah. yeah and sure. I will say the bad thing too, is the one new character does have the dumbest story. So there you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> but this most recent episode this week was by far the best one they've had since season one and maybe their best of all. But I'm still not as sold on the season as other folks have been. But that's probably just me. Tim, how about you? As of course, we keep hinting about it. It's the NCAA tournament, some of the, the best days of the year. And if you have largely completely cut the cord as I have, you can still watch most of the games online, sort of. If it's on uh, CBS, they let you watch it. If it's on one of the other channels, you have a couple of hours to to watch about, maybe they give you about three hours to watch those games before they, they cut you off unless you log in with an actual TV provider and, and proof you have a cable subscription. But I've probably mentioned this before. It's it's okay. It's kind of annoying. I, I would possibly consider paying a, a small fee to be able to just watch everything through the MTA or their or their app on, on, online. But I'll take what I can get. At least I did get to see the you know most shocking upset of, of all all time on Friday night. And that was that was fun to watch the last few minutes of that game. Yes it was. And David, how about you? So Kim has already hit on the high point, which is that we've been catching up on stuff. And I didn't love the Ted Lasso season premiere. I was happy to see everybody return, but there's two decisions they've made for this season. It's almost like they're trying to intentionally create some sadness before they, you know, resolve it with a happy ending later. And I'm not sure that's going to work for me, if I'm just being honest. Uh, I don't love what they've done with Nate, and I don't love what they've done with Keely. And I'm, I can be petty about this. This stuff. So we'll see. And then with Picard, Tim, you might have actually done it perfectly because season two of Picard got, frankly, unwatchable toward the end. So, you know, if you just came back in, caught up with season three, you'd be doing pretty well, actually. And it is basically the next generation finale that people have wanted for years. And while it's it's imperfect, there have been several things that have made me go, Ugh. the most recent episode was wonderful for reasons I can't go into without spoiling, but really, really satisfying. When I watch this and then I watch The Mandalorian, it just really reinforces the fact that I'm an expanse guy. I'm off the board here. Both of them have storytelling limitations I don't like, and The Expanse had none of that, but it forced to choose. The Mandalorian just, it drives me nuts with the way it tells stories. The dude can move in three dimensions, and they forget that whenever it's convenient to have an action scene. He's standing by a cliff, and he can fly. And he is fighting on land and they're making it like, oh no, will he fall off? And I'm like, he has a jetpack. It doesn't matter if he falls off. He should be standing 10 feet away throwing rocks at him. They can't stop him when he's flying over the air. But these are the things that happen to me because I think about story more than the average person. I think that why Picard is working right now is just because I missed it. Kim, is it nostalgia for you too? It is nostalgia, but there's also things just about this season that I am appreciating outside of the nostalgia as well. And I don't really want to go too deeply into them because it could be spoilerish. But yeah, I definitely enjoy seeing a lot of these people back in their roles. We also should say that there is an actor that we have liked from United 93 in an episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. He always plays kind of an observant you know, heel character. We don't know what he is on Picard yet, but because he can't stand the cast of The Next Generation, he is getting some really clever dialogue that attacks some of the valid criticisms of those stories, and I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying him, and he seems to be having fun. There's something, you know, vaguely MJF-ish about it where he just loves being the bad guy in the things he says. He relishes being snide to people that the audience loves. 
but it works for me. It works for me a lot. Yeah. To me, he is the best part of the show. <laughs> Todd Stashwick is his name, and I'm really thoroughly enjoying him. I'd be in on a spinoff for his character. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 